All right, welcome back to the Biblos Network. Praise the Lord, people of God, saints of God. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad you've decided to join in with us today. I don't know that I know where to begin. I'm thankful. I'm so exceedingly thankful for the blessing of the Lord. This last few months, God has been so good to our family. Um, so many good things have happened in addition to revival, in addition to blessing and favor. I have a new grandbaby, and so I am Papa Urshan. And my youngest son is engaged to a wonderful young lady. And so life has begun, the blessing of the Lord. It maketh rich, he addeth no sorrow with it. We have so many, so many new young couples that are coming up in the church. And these young men and young ladies are like sons and daughters in the gospel. They are bright eyed. They are full of vision, full of hope. And I am excited. The future is bright. I think we dedicated almost 20 babies, our last dedication service. And, um, and that's just English. That's not even Spanish. They had a host over there as well. So it's just good. It's a good time to be doing the work of God and to be apostolic. And I pray that you are enjoying the blessing of the Lord where you are. I think we have a good session for you today. I'm going to be talking about something that people are probably uncomfortable really digging deeply into what I'm going to talk about. But I'm going to talk about a, a story in the Bible that when you look at it, I mean, it makes you raise your eyebrows. It's a dark story in some regards. It's the story of Judah and Tamar. This particular story is one of those in Genesis that it's eyebrow raising. You think to yourself, wow, that's in the Bible. That's wow. That's how they dealt with that. That's what he did. Judah, you know, Judah means praise. If you're in an apostolic church, you have probably heard that Judah means praise. And it does. It's actually the, the root word from which the word Jew is derived. <clears throat> and so here at Biblos, we love the word. We love the nuance and the subtlety of the scripture as it speaks to us. And I pray after today's session, it will help your understanding of some things and give a, a Holy Ghost perspective to some very real life circumstances that oftentimes people find themselves in. Judah and his sons, Onan, Ur, Shelah, and his daughter-in-law, Tamar. And I'm going to say what I'm going to say in the context of, it's the context of what I see happening sometimes. Sometimes in this modern world, we deal with church hurt. We deal with circumstances in our churches and in apostolic ministry where people are hurt where people's emotions are damaged. They're, they're let down by choices that others make. And this is true of saints in the church. It's true from leaders in the church. It is true of pastors at times. One of the things about the scripture is it takes an unflinching look at every aspect of the Bible characters' lives. When it looks at Judah, when it looks at David, when it looks at Joseph, it does not give you a whitewashed, rose-petal-strewn pathway. <laughs> no, far from it. The Bible shines the glaring spotlight of truth onto the lives of men and of women, and it shows their greatest moment. It also shows their darkest moment. For every story of a shepherd boy winding his sling and bringing down the giant, that same man later on 
in a moment of very human frailty and weakness and short-sightedness and even wickedness, covets a woman. He is not out at battle where he should be. He is on his rooftop taking his leisure. And that's a whole Biblos episode in and of itself. In itself. Stay busy. Do not allow yourself to grow sedentary. Weird things happen when you grow sedentary. God made us to work. He made us to create. God worked and he is a creator. When you stop that, weird things happen. We aren't, we aren't a pond. We're a river. We are to have the river of living water. It is a free-flowing river. It is the constant inflow and outgo of the influence of God's Spirit in our life. If you ever allow that to become boxed in, if you ever allow it to become still, and you do not give it borders and parameters, and that's a whole subject in and of itself, you'll eventually wind up with a swamp and tadpoles and frogs and mosses and algae and lichen will overgrow and you won't have life and you won't have vitality, but things will breed in there. Odors will be emitted from the boggy, swampy environment. That isn't what God called us to. And and an apostolic life that does not have a free flow of in and out, daily inundation with his spirit and daily activity in the things of God will breed strange things. Not just apostolic lives, all people are built that way. But we see it oftentimes in apostolic life. So be busy about the things of God. You need an outlet. You need to be working. You need to be laboring. You need to be rejoicing in the creative work of God. David didn't do that. He, was, he had grown comfortable. He'd grown sedentary, and he commits adultery with Bathsheba. He murders her husband. He marries her to cover it up, leading to one of the darkest periods in Israel's history. An innocent man is dead, and this sowed the seeds of Absalom and Amnon and another Tamar, which which comes into play. But I'm not talking about the second Tamar today. I'm talking about the first one. The first time we see this happen is with Judah. It's in the book of Genesis. And I think before I launch into the story, let me say that sometimes you will have situations in a church where things aren't fair, where people make poor decisions, even wrong decisions. Saints do it and pastors can do it. That's where it gets uncomfortable. People don't want to talk about that. We honor leaders. We honor people who lead us and I honor pastors and I hold them up, but I would not be honest if I didn't say and and address the fact that leaders make mistakes. Show me a leader in the Bible that didn't. The church is made up of people, and people are flesh, and flesh is fallible. And so people make mistakes. As a, as a leader, as a pastor, I do not try to think and portray that every decision I make is right, and I'm infallible, and you can't question the pastor. He is above reproach and above question. No, no, I am a frail human being just like everybody else, and it's by God's grace that I stand. And the strength of my leadership and others' leadership, godly leaders, is that when we do not see it correctly and we do make human decisions as best we can according to the word of God, that people give us the grace to work our way through it. And we may not get everything right, but we are going to get the vast majority of things right if we're following the spirit and we're following the word of God. I'll never forget years ago, my brother Joel and I were, we were playing and we got an argument of some kind. We started fighting. We started fighting over toys or something. And um, Joel did something that was, it wasn't right. It made my, it angered my mother, but she thought I did it. He broke something or he did something. I can't remember what it was that actually happened. It's been so long, but my mom was very angry and she turned around and she thought I did it and she snatched me up and she gave it to me good. And I was innocent. I was the innocent party. And there was Joel, little cherubic Joel. And mom found out that, and Joel told her 
that it was him. And I certainly told her. <laughs> I was hollering at the top of my lungs. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. But it's too late. I'd already received the brunt of the of the wrath of mom. And in her humanity, she turned. She saw the situation. She reacted in the moment. And I was unjustly punished. Now, does that make my mother a bad parent? Does that one moment of human misjudgment mean that all mothers are wrong and we're going to throw off motherhood and we're going to say that it's wicked and it's wrong and it's Phariseeism and it's legalism and it's cultic? You're in a cult because somebody told you what to do. Is that what we're going to do? No. My mother is the best mother there ever was. I love her with all my heart. And truth be told, she might have unjustly punished me in that moment, but there were some things I got away with that it leveled out. It evened out. <laughs> and the one misjudgment on her part doesn't mean that the office of the mother can be thrown away. Where would, be, where would we be without our mother, without that God-ordained institution? We'll take that up the, the ladder a couple rungs. Where would you be without a pastor? There is a movement afoot today to eliminate pastors. It's done by people who are formerly apostolic. And they say that they are now enlightened. Every one of them have the same trait. They have the same trait. They were hurt by somebody. Whether it was their fault or not, I don't know. But in human interaction, you're going to have friction. You're going to have trouble. And hence the title of today's session, Tamar's Trouble. There are going to be times where you are in an icky situation. You're going to be in a set of circumstances. If you are in a church, you're going to be in a situation where somebody commits adultery, somebody commits fornication, someone is dealing with homosexuality, someone is dealing with theft, someone is dealing with um, gossip, anger, favoritism, nepotism. Oh yes, if you're a part of this broken human lineage, you're going to deal with it. And I want to say it was the philosopher Kierkegaard who said that God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. We are the crooked sticks. God's kingdom is the straight line. But show me, and, and, and to everybody that, that wants to demand perfection of leaders in churches, you are not a perfect parent. You are not a perfect leader. You're not a perfect boss. Neither am I. I am not a perfect pastor. I don't pretend to be. And I think on one side of the equation, pastors that are held to a standard of perfection, pastors' wives and pastors' children's, pastors' children, when, when they feel the pressure to be perfect, they're making a big mistake. Don't do that. You're not perfect. Uh, Abraham wasn't perfect. David wasn't perfect. Isaac, Jacob, any of the patriarchs, the apostles. You see Peter and Paul having a confrontation because Peter was carried away with, with the Jewish separatist, even racial pressure that was put on him by orthodoxy the Orthodox Jews, when the Gentiles come in and Paul rebukes him and withstands him to the face, the Bible says. This is very real human interaction of people working out their salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't mean the church isn't real or the, the church isn't uh, powerful in doing its job. What it means is people need time to work their way through and let the grace of God lead them and let the word of God lead them. That's why God gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the ministry, the, the work of the ministry for the perfecting of the body of Christ till we all come unto the fullness of God's truth and his word. I thank God for the leaders in my life. They were not perfect. You know, for every Abraham who staggers not at the promises of God, you will see that man asking Sarah to say that she is his sister, not his wife. He, he's, he fears Abimelech. And in a, in a moment of weakness and frailty, Abraham makes a very human, flawed decision. The Bible shines the spotlight squarely upon it. And today, I am going to shine the spotlight squarely upon 
apostolic leadership. It does not mean perfection. It means that 98% of the time a godly leader is going to make the right decision. If they're anointed, if they're following the scripture, they are going to the vast majority of times they're going to make the right decision. The 2%, the 5% that they do not get right, love them, give them the grace to recorrect and course correct. Pray for them. That is strong leadership. If you think it's 100% right, 100% of the time, you are in for a lot of trouble. Don't, and, and to, to leaders, don't think you're perfect. You're not. And to those that follow them, don't think they're perfect. They're not, and, and neither are you. That's why it's called the foolishness of preaching. <laughs> We're saved by the foolishness of preaching that a flawed man could save others. Well, yes, they can through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter preached the message by which we are saved. Flawed Peter, the one who denied Jesus three times, the one who was carried away with Jewish racial disparity later on. That Peter is the same one that had the keys to the kingdom of God. That's the foolishness of preaching that flawed humans can save, save flawed humans. Now we're living in a world that wants to look at church trouble and say, a pastor didn't do something right, so now I'm leaving all church. I'm leaving all pastors. That is a cult. I'm not going to follow it. And I'm leaving holiness, and I'm leaving oneness, and I'm leaving Acts 2.38, and I'm leaving the new birth, and I'm throwing it all away, and I'm going to start a blog talking about how hurt I am. I'm going to mock everybody out of my pain and I'm going to find other people that are mocking. And I'm going to find a Reddit thread or I'm going to find a Facebook account. And I'm going to tell apostolics that they're brainwashed. I'm talking to those people today. Tamar's trouble. Because there's fault on both Judah and Tamar's part. As flawed humans wrestle with one another. As they, as they wrestle with the task of, of eternity and wrestling with eternal principles. If a church hurts me, if a pastor or a leader has hurt me in some way or they fail in some way, does that mean holiness doesn't matter anymore? Does that mean oneness doesn't matter anymore? Mm, mm, mm. And I'm speaking from knowledge. I'm not speaking from a theoretical perspective. I have been hurt by leaders. I had a leader in my life that I thought was, was something that he was not, and he hurt me profoundly. He lied about me. He told people terrible lies about me, and it was one of the most painful things I've ever endured. I actually, I actually had to embark on a completely different path in my life because I had to recalibrate and survive. I know what it's like to, to be lied to, in a church setting. My grandfather preached a message one time many years ago about Noah and the ark. And he, he preached Noah. He preached the ark. He preached the salvation. He preached about the grace of God. And then he brought up a point that people don't usually bring up. And that was, can you imagine the smell on that ark? All that livestock, all of that animal proximity, all of those bodies locked up and confined in that closed space while the storm raged outside the odor that was inside and his message was the stink or the storm <laughs> that he was talking about church problems there's gonna be church problems there were problems in Israel there there are problems in the kingdom of God we're human you give people enough time and they can make a mess out of just about anything people working on a daily basis. I think some of the most powerful people are people who can operate in grace for many years with the same people and hold respect for one another and love one another and care for one another. Those are powerful people. To have the honesty and the integrity, to hold long-term relationships and longevity, and people know who you are. Some of the greatest leaders I know have remained from decades and with all their failures and faults at least they were honest failures and they owned up to them and they, they confessed them they course corrected and the good overwhelmingly outweighs the bad that is a true look an unflinching bright spotlight 
on the lives of people who make decisions over decades. So this is the context I'm talking in. Don't allow someone that started a blog, that started a Facebook page, that claims to be more enlightened, don't let them talk you out of your apostolic heritage. I don't care how bright their smile is. I don't care how many pictures they post with their friends um, talking about how free and how liberated they are now that they've left the cult. Do not fall for that. That is a lie. It is not true. And I'm going to try my best to explain today why that's the case. In, in the times I've been betrayed, in the times where people let me down, people failed me in my friendships, my relationships, and even in my leadership relationships, never one time did I forsake the oneness of God or the knowledge that holiness is true. And I mean inward and outward holiness. Just because someone set a standard of physical observance as the church and then failed later doesn't mean I throw off all standards and all holiness. It never crossed my mind to leave the truth. This great truth, this one God, apostolic, Jesus name, holiness, separated truth. What happens is people get angry, they get bitter. And then they begin to twist and distort the scriptures. And they'll tell you that because someone who taught that wearing a skirt was right for a woman, wearing pants was right for a man, they hurt me. And so now, as a woman, I'm going to wear pants because I'm free. Well, you have to flip that around. And you have to say that when a man does that, that he says, if I want to wear a skirt, I'm free. And you have to be happy with it. And if you don't, you're not being honest. If you're going to break down gender distinction because somebody hurt you, you have to be ready to pay the price for that. As apostolics, we firmly believe that women should wear dresses, men should wear pants. We believe that. We believe that women should have uncut hair and men should have cut hair. This is what the scripture teaches. And um, there's a generation that is casting that off. And they are turning into the Psalms 2 generation. The heathen rage. They imagine a vain thing. Let us cast away their cords from us. Let us take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. You're watching that happen right now. And this is Tamar's trouble. So let's talk about Tamar. Let's talk about Judah. Judah means praise. Tamar, Tamar means a palm tree. Interestingly, it means a palm tree. That name means palm tree. And the palm tree was a place of openness. It was a place of social inter intersection. And it carries with it the idea of openness, open market, open commerce. It's a place where oftentimes elders in the city would sit under a palm tree. The Bible says that Deborah judged the people of Israel under a palm tree. Well, in that Hebrew metaphorism, that is a picture of a free market. So the name Tamar lends itself to the idea of a free market, of an open air market, of openness. I think this Biblos episode needs to be open about it. I don't think we need to be closed. I don't think we need to say, well, we have to protect people and we have to act like that didn't happen and sweep it under the rug. That's a good way to breed corruption, discontent. Now, I believe in protecting people's privacy and I believe in, in, in protecting the the office of a pastor, an evangelist, a teacher, a prophet, an apostle. I want to protect those offices. I don't want to air people, people's dirty laundry. But I have to be honest that people do make mistakes. It happens in churches. It happens on both sides of the equation. Tamar is openness. You need to deal in ministry with openness. It's a mistake to try to control people. And to tell people, don't, how, how, how do I want to say that? What's the best way to articulate that? To try to control people and who they talk to and who they don't talk to. And don't watch that and don't read this and, and stay away from this. There's a, there's a line there where, yes, we stay away from wickedness and we, we separate from wickedness. But at the same time, when you tell people that they have to obey you unquestioningly, 
you're robbing them of their free will. People need to make their own choices and they make they need to make godly choices. They need to be a palm tree. They need to be open. It needs to be the open market. Because they're going to talk to backsliders. They're going to talk to doubters. They're going to talk to naysayers. A mistake that leaders often make is they try to hold people away from every single thing. If you're not careful when you're raising kids, you can you can protect them. You can sequester them and hold them in and never let them experience anything in life. And that's a good way to create weird little Christians, little hothouse plants that can only survive in the greenhouse. They can't survive out in the wild. You know, um, we have a lot of pine trees on our property and, and we learned that if you cut down large pines, oftentimes when a storm comes, it'll blow over the pines that were on, on the interior of what you cut down because they're used to the buffering of the big pines. Well, it's important that the root system of pines and trees be exposed to the pool and the push of the wind that it, it develops deep roots. It develops stronger roots. So that doesn't mean you throw your kids to the wolves and throw them into Sodom and Gomorrah and say, well, they got to learn. They got to toughen up. I'm not saying that there is separation and there is a, um, a difference between light and darkness. But at the same time, you can't hold them in the house all day long, every day and not let them talk to anybody. And you got to be apostolic and we have to watch everybody because everybody's going to be corrupted. I live in this world and I operate in this world and I know where wickedness is and I know where righteousness is. We can't allow ourselves to be cloistered and closed off to where weirdness breeds. You can't even function with employees and employers in the open market because you've never had to make personal choices in your life. So that's a mistake that some people make. So the Bible says that Ur was exceedingly wicked and the Lord slew him. And Judah told Onan, his son, go into Tamar and raise up seed to your brother. Lie with her. And this was a custom in, in Israel that so that your brother's name wouldn't die and he wouldn't lose in his, his inheritance, that you would give his widow a child, a raise up a son, raise up offspring unto him so that his name wouldn't die in Israel. It was an ancient way of preserving the family. Onan didn't want to do it, so he spilled his seed on the ground and he didn't want the responsibility of raising a son that, his bro- that wasn't going to be his own. And so the Lord slew Onan for that. Now, this is all in the context of Judah betraying Joseph. You know, he's just betrayed Joseph. He's just sold him out. So this is another episode for another day. But when praise becomes corrupt, then wickedness ensues. Be careful about corrupting your praise. Be careful about corrupting your worship. Because there's a price to pay for that. And Judah paid a heavy price. Later on, Judah gave his life for Joseph. He betrayed him in the beginning, but he gives his life at the end, and he becomes the lineage that the Messiah would spring from. But there was a lot of suffering that went on that God taught Judah some very hard lessons. He sold Joseph out, and God slew his son and slew his second son as well. Now, here's Tamar. Judah has made these decisions He's paying the price for it. And here's Tamar. She's an innocent party in this. Her first husband was wicked. He dies. Second man that she has been with is now slain by God. And Sheila is the younger. And and Judah says, wait for him. And I'll give him to you. And we'll raise up seed that way. Well, the day comes and Judah doesn't do it. Finally, Judah's wife dies. And Judah... And this is the dark story in the scripture. Judah comes to, I think it was Timnath, if I remember right. Um, He comes to her and Tamar sees that she is not being given the third son. She has no hope. That leaves her with no offspring, no hope of a future in that ancient society. So she takes off her widow's robes and she dresses up like a harlot, covers her face, and Judah sees her, doesn't recognize her, and goes into her as a harlot. You talk about a messed up situation. There are some times where things can get so icky, so wrong, so twisted in the mechanisms of 
of human interaction that you'll find yourself in a situation saying, this can't be God. What, what kind of a weird <laughs> deal is this? Oh, you'd be amazed at the things that people can get themselves into. And be very careful when you judge people and the decisions they make because the day is going to come when you are faced with something, maybe in your life, maybe in your spouse's life, maybe in your children or your grandchildren's life. And I know a lot of people that were very hard-hearted towards others in their time of difficulty. But treat every situation with grace and mercy and kindness and work your way through it as best you can because God gives us grace. God gives us mercy. God looks upon us. This Tamar and Judah situation was not God's doing. It was their doing. Judah obviously had a lot of profound wickedness in him. The tribe that would become the greatest, that would become David's tribe, that would the lion of the tribe of Judah would spring from it. That guy betrays Joseph and sells him out. What a testimony to how God can change everything in our lives and turn any set of circumstances around. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his mercy. So because he's been graceful to us and merciful to us, be merciful to your brother and your sister. Don't hurt them. Don't look to destroy them. Who's right? Is Judah right? Of course not. He's going into a harlot. Is Tamar right for dressing up like a harlot to entice him? She is purposely bringing him in to get a son. And she did. She became with child. She became pregnant. Is that right? No, it's not right. So who, who is right in that equation? There will be a situation in your life you will run into where nobody seems to be right. But there is a grain of truth here that we can take. This is the stink that is in the ark. I would rather deal with the dysfunction that is within the ark than the storm and the wrath that is being poured out outside the ark. Work it out with your brother. Work it out with your sister. Work it out with your pastor. If your pastor is legitimately uh, trying to abuse you, and that does happen, there is a situation where Saul does go off the rails, then find a place that is safe, that will not do that to you. That doesn't mean church hop. That doesn't mean um, just jump around till you find something that suits you. You need to be able to take rebuke, and so do I. But if you're dealing with a legitimate situation where, where someone is literally trying to destroy people, I've, I've seen churches where pastors have taken the church and run it down to five people to try to make them all holy and wrecked the church. That's not right either. If Saul becomes more adept at throwing javelins than he does worshiping God, leaders can be wrong. Who's right? Well, the Bible says that when it became known that Tamar was pregnant, that Judah finds out. It was told to him. Tamar was no dummy. She took tokens to make sure that people knew it was Judah who had come to her. And the truth is, Judah had put Tamar in this position. As a leader, people can put people in bad decisions where there's no easy answer. You can be put in a bad set of circumstances. And a godly leader will work to put you in the best position to succeed. It doesn't mean everything will be perfect. But as a leader, I strive to put people into the best position to succeed. Judah did not do that. He had created a situation that was lose-lose. It was a lose-lose scenario. And he tells them she needs to be put to death. A stunning display of hypocrisy. He's gone into a harlot, but he's going to kill her. Wow. Oftentimes when you're dealing with a corrupt leader, um, they will be very judgmental. Unless it's their children. Unless it's their grandchildren. Then they're full of mercy. Beware of that. That's not right either. These are just some of the dynamics that happen when you're part of the kingdom of God. When Judah decides to kill her, 
she pulls out, I think it was a staff and a, and a signet ring, if I remember right. It's been a while since I read the account. And she says, by these things am I with child. By, by the man that owned these things am I with child. And Judah realizes, that was me. That was Tamar. I, and then he, the puzzle pieces all come together. And he realizes that that child is his. And then he realizes, Ur was wicked. I did betray my brother Joseph. Onan did spill his seed on the ground. I didn't give Sheila unto her. And Tamar was just surviving. And he says something that's very telling. He says, let her live, for she hath been more righteous than I have. Hmm. What she's doing isn't right. What she's doing isn't, isn't of God in its fullest sense. This is not God's plan. It's not God's method. But what she's doing is more righteous than what Judah did. So Tamar lives and the, the corruption that was in Judah is being purged out of him by life circumstances. Why, why did he say she's been more righteous than I? Well, even in her dysfunction, Tamar tries to preserve life. <clears throat> Judah has managed to betray his brother, create a wicked son and heir. Onan is uh, slain because of his selfishness and, and unwillingness to take responsibility. His marginalizing and neglecting Tamar and treating his third son in a certain way that isn't just going into a harlot and then ready to kill her. All of this is leading to death. Judah is pursuing death. Tamar is pursuing life. If you're going to work your way through a thing, always keep it with saving people in mind, save life, produce life, build life. And in that, even, even mistakes should lead towards life. Charity covers a multitude of transgressions. And people will work with you if you will try to preserve life, if you'll be merciful, if you will, if you will course correct quickly. That's what learning is all about. Tamar was trying to preserve life even in her dysfunctional choices. So even in your worst circumstances, preserve life. Save life. Keep life. Don't kill. Don't try to destroy. Judah is making mistake after mistake after mistake. He finally learns it, though. When he finally gets into Egypt and Joseph is, he puts them to the test and Benjamin, is, he's given him another opportunity to demonstrate what spirit he is of. He sees that Benjamin's going to be sold out. He has a chance to do to Benjamin what he did to Joseph, what he did to Ur, what he did to Onan, what he did to Tamar, what he did to Shelah. But when he gets to Benjamin, he says, take my life. And that's the answer. Let me give myself. Let me. Greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friend. Judah reverses the whole thing by giving himself for life. Life for a life. I'll substitute myself. When you will give yourself that charity, that's the first Corinthians 13 man. I've said this and I teach this here in Durham and I'll teach this here on Biblos. Become the first Corinthians 13 Christian. Read first Corinthians 13. If you don't know what that is and if you haven't internalized that, you need to take the next two months and just read first Corinthians 13 and say, let that be me. If I speak with tongues, we, if you speak in tongues and you are hateful and mean and cruel and looking for fault in people, you need to read first Corinthians 13. You're sounding brass and tinkling cymbal if you don't have charity. If you have faith, understand all mysteries, but you don't have that charity, it profits nothing. Charity suffers long, and it's kind. It's kind. Wouldn't it be amazing if people were kind? Charity suffereth long and is kind. Behaveth itself not unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not puffed up. Vaunteth not itself. Hopeth all things. Believeth all things. Beareth all things. Faith and hope are great, but charity is greater. Become that. Become that in your dealings with people. And that's what happened to Judah. Judah had to become about saving life rather than destroying life. 
So now, Tamar, what are you going to do? Are you going to get bitter because Judah wrecked everything? Are you going to, are you going to become bitter because a leader made a bad decision and you paid the price? If you're going to be open, if you're going to be the palm tree, if you're going to be the place of intersection, that openness is the same dynamic as the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Opening up the door to good opens the door to evil. If you're going to be the intersection, you're going to be betrayed. You need to go ahead and get that into your mind. You're going to be betrayed. I go into relationships knowing that I have the potential of being betrayed. I try to minimize it. I try to avoid it. But if someone betrays me, I'm not going to say, oh, that's it. They betrayed me. They're hypocrites. They said they were apostolic. I got to divorce my wife and I got to run off with another woman. <laughs> I've got to, I got to go out and smoke cigars and smoke marijuana because somebody hurt me. I believe that there are people who have secret sin in their heart that desire sin and they desire worldliness. And when someone hurts them, they use that as a cloak to do what they always wanted to do in their flesh. I know that's true. I have seen that over and over in my life. And if someone is a hypocrite, if a leader fails, that does not mean I leave this great apostolic truth. I've seen people get hurt and say, women, I've seen women do this. I'm going to go wear pants now because somebody in a skirt betrayed me and they are hypocrites. So now I got to wear pants and they drop the Scripture's teaching on gender distinction. And with smiles, they begin to talk about love. And they begin to talk about acceptance. And they begin to talk about grace. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to come to a close here. But I want to tell you a story. I knew a, a young couple who were apostolic. They were very involved in their church. They got hurt in that church. And they were hurt by leaders. It was a, a, a very difficult set of circumstances. Leader made a poor choice. It hurt them. They saw things they didn't agree with. And there might have been some, there might have been some legitimacy to their feelings. Instead of being prayerful and working through it, the young man, he just backslid in his heart. Now, he didn't say that. He said he was enlightened. He said that all apostolics were in a cult and that now... He was going to cast off all of those rules and man-made restrictions and regulations. And he began to, he said, I'm going to drink. I'm going to drink wine because I believe that that's a man-made restriction. It's not. It's another lesson for another day. But drinking wine is forbidden in the scripture, alcoholic beverages. His wife followed him. She said, I'm going to start wearing pants. I'm not going to wear dresses anymore. And they begin to post online. She put on makeup and earrings and she began to dress like the world. And, and they begin to talk about how free they were and how happy they were. They posted pictures and we're so happy. We're so free in Christ. We've thrown off all of those man-made restrictions. We got rid of the Pharisees and their hypocrisy. And they used the hurt to cast off all restriction. And they said they were free in Christ. It grieved me. It broke my heart to see it. First of all, that they were hurt. The circumstances grieved me. But then I watched as he led her down a primrose path of freedom and liberty. I watched as they mocked apostolics. They mocked anyone that made godly decisions, that, that contended for modesty and contended for holiness inward and outward. Outward holiness meant nothing anymore. The drinking became more pronounced. Their social media presence, they were, they were rejoicing in it. They were rubbing people's faces in it. It became more provocative. Her dressing became more provoc provocative. He became more aggressive in showing how free he was. They started going to concerts and it was a, maybe a year or two later that he had an affair with a woman. She became a drunk. 
they divorced. And I watched them go down in flames. Now, they weren't posting online anymore. They weren't talking about their freedom and their liberty anymore. They had wrecked their lives. It came out eventually that he was homosexual and had been secretly all this time. And he cast off all restraints and all Christianity was evil. And I watched as people descended into such pain and such despair. He reached out to a friend of mine one night, late at night. He had, he had gotten drunk. He said he was contemplating suicide because he never thought it would go this far. That doesn't sound like liberty to me. That doesn't sound like freedom. It sounds like the devil lied to him and he believed it. And all of the countless young people that followed him, his charisma, his glibness, he had a sharp response for everything. Godly leaders would try to talk to him and he, had a, he was fiercely intelligent, very, very intelligent. He could argue the scriptures late into the night. He could twist them and he could deceive the simple. But when, when he contemplated killing himself later and he recognized that he'd thrown away everything that was right, this all happened in like a five-year period of time. I'm not saying that to, to tell you a scary story or try to scare you into living for God. I'm telling you that Tamar's trouble is a real thing and is a godly way to handle things. If you're going to throw away gender distinction, then be ready for your, your sons to put on dresses later on or your grandsons. Be ready to embrace the LGBTQ movement. Be ready for churches to close their doors because that's exactly what's happening in mainline denominalism now. Love, 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 love. Everything's about love. There are no rules. The scripture doesn't mean anything you thought it meant. And it leads to empty churches. It leads to apostate people. It leads to drunkenness, brokenness, divorce. I have seen it repeatedly in my life. One of the, I was talking to a young man one day who, who said to me, he said, it's okay if women wear pants, Brother Urshan, because men and women wore robes in the Old Testament and there's no difference. If they wore, both wore robes, we both wear pants, what's the big deal? It's, we know what the difference is. No, it's not, it's not an apples-to-apples apples equation. Gender distinction is very real. Um, well, society sets the standards, you know. Just like it changed from robes to pants, now we're changing. And so we know how it works. So we're going to change. Well, <laughs> you need to follow that through to its logical conclusion. The first woman to wear pants, was she right? Is the first man to wear a dress? Is that right? No. No, it's not right. The Bible says that Isaac knew Rebekah from a long way off. He saw her and he ran to her. He could, he could distinguish her femininity from a long way off. He saw her and knew her and recognized her. There was the ability to see gender distinction from a long distance away. It should be that way today. That is a biblical concept and principle and the beautiful doctrines that so many stood for for hundreds and thousands of years the apostolic heritage that has been handed down to us don't throw it away because somebody got hurt in a church squabble because somebody got sideways somebody said something somebody feels like they're offended don't find an online community that agrees with you and gives you confirmation bias because they say something that speaks to your hurt that you're just going to join them because with smiling words and fair speeches the bible says they deceive the simple and before it's all done you will give up acts 238 you will give up deuteronomy 64 you will give up deuteronomy 225 and gender distinction and oneness and 
the, the new birth message. They'll talk you out of the entire thing. This is Tamar's trouble. The good news is the word of God is true. That the church is strong. And that you can navigate personality conflicts. You can navigate leaders who make mistakes. David did not allow Saul's treachery and Saul's duplicity and Saul's nepotism. He did not allow that to take the harp out of his hand. He writes the book of Psalms. He experiences the entire range of human emotion, the low lows, the high highs, but he keeps on singing. He keeps on worshiping. He triumphs over it all. He becomes the greatest king of Israel. And that is what we do, ladies and gentlemen. We become great apostolics. We build great churches. We keep our faith. We hang on to the timeless principles of the word of God. Let men be men. Let women be women. Keep yourself holy unto the Lord. And love this great apostolic message. There's no reason to be bitter. There's no reason. You do not have to close off and let someone's hurting of you destroy your life. As a matter of fact, be ready to be crucified. If, if they're going to crucify you, bless them. You're going to find out that the people that treat you worst are some of your greatest teachers. Your enemies will become your greatest teachers. You will learn faster from an enemy than you will from good times and from friends. My enemies taught me my hardest lessons and I'm thankful for my enemies. Now I can see them coming a mile away. Now I can see people like them and their ilk. I can see them coming. I can help the next generation avoid the pitfalls of abusive leaders, of hypocrites, of gossips, of slanderers. Don't let backroom conversations and whispered conversations and people shunning you, don't let that rob you of who you are in God. Hold your head up. Love God. If, it, if you're going to make a mistake, make an honest mistake, course correct, and keep loving God. Keep on letting charity guide you and let the grace of God keep you and sustain you. Tamar eventually is blessed of the Lord. Judah gets it right. He turns around and he becomes the great Judah of the scriptures that we now honor and revere. And his name is in the foundation of heaven in the new Jerusalem. And I pray that that is the case with me and it is with you. So I hope that helps you today. I hope you can take that and be strengthened by it. Don't let men make you bitter. Don't let women make you caustic and skeptical and leave God. Rise above it, transcend above it, love God, believe him, and he'll keep you. Until next time, God bless you, God keep you, God cause his face to shine upon you. <laughs>